going to be the second part in a series that I'm doing called Personal Restoration. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about internal house cleaning. Anybody like to clean house? No. No. My oldest son does. He was born with this need to have things incredibly clean. He's 20 years old now. I'm going to pick on you for a minute. He's 20 years old now, and I don't ever remember at any point in my life having to tell this boy to clean his room. He's always been incredibly immaculate. You know, I'll go into his room, and I'll hear him cleaning in there. He's got the vacuum out, and he's vacuuming not only the floor. He's vacuuming the fan, the windowsills. He's vacuuming everything in there. It's like this perfect, perfect room in there. Yeah, exactly. Come to my house. So he likes house cleaning, but today we're not talking about that kind of house cleaning. I'm talking about internal house cleaning, internal house cleaning today. So we're going to take a look, take a look at some things here in Nehemiah. So turn to Nehemiah chapter five. If you don't know where that is, go to Psalms and turn left. Last time we got together, we talked a little bit out of chapter four. Um, let me just recap a little bit for those of you who may not have been here. Um, The book of Nehemiah is all about the people of Israel who have been released from captivity are back in Jerusalem and they're trying to rebuild the city. And they've been doing it for some 40 plus years and they're not having very good success in rebuilding the city, specifically in rebuilding the wall. What would happen was that the people around that did not like the Israelites at all would come at night and tear down every part of the wall that was being built. So Nehemiah, who was a cupbearer, who worked with the king, asked the king if he could bring people and money with him to go back to Israel, to to Jerusalem, and rebuild the city. He comes back as a leader, as a wonderful leader, gathers the people together, and what they couldn't do in decades, he did in 52 days. The entire wall around the city was rebuilt in 52 days simply because of Nehemiah's leadership. Now, Nehemiah means Yahweh comforts. That's his name. And so as we're looking through this series, I think it's good for us to look at what we see in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, and recognize that all of what we see in the Old Covenant was pictures and shadows and types of what was to come for us in the New Testament. And Nehemiah was a picture, prototype, if you would, of Holy Spirit for the people of the Old Testament. His name means comforter. When Jesus said, I'm going away and I will send you another who is just like me, I will send you the comforter. So in the Old Testament, Nehemiah, you see that that picture, that prototype of who Holy Spirit is for us. Holy Spirit for us does a lot what we see here in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah comes in and he gathers people together and gets their focus in the right spot, gets everybody working in the right area. And ultimately ends up producing the very thing that was in their heart to do. You guys see the similarities of how Holy Spirit works for us. He's the comforter. He comes in and empowers us. Everybody needs that, right? He empowers us to do the very thing that God has put in us to do. His God, God's design inside of us, Holy Spirit empowers that and brings it to life. Last time we talked about this, we were in chapter 4. And I talked about dealing with the devil. I don't like to give the devil any more room than he deserves. I can't stand him. I hate him. 
He's a thieving, lying murderer. That's all he does, and he lies, lies, lies all the time. I don't like him. So I don't like to go after him and give him a higher place than he deserves. But when he does come into view, if he comes into view of the, the, the scope of my rifle, I'll pull the trigger. But that's all, that's all I'm doing. I'm not going around trying to hunt down the devil. If he gets in front of me, I'm going to pull the trigger. What I'm going after is the kingdom. But it's good for us to recognize whenever Satan does show up, whenever the demonic shows up, that we know what to do with it. So last time we talked about that. If you didn't hear it, you weren't here, you can get the podcast and listen to it two weeks ago. But you better listen to Dave's first because if you listen to Dave's first, it'll make mine way, way, way better. Is that good? Okay, all right. Yeah, well, you know, I just want to pump your tires a little bit, you know, so. But now we're in in Nehemiah chapter 5, and I want to read a little bit out of this. This is, Nehemiah chapter 5, is kind of like the 1 Corinthians 13 of the Old Testament. It's kind of like the love chapter. You guys know how 1 Corinthians 12, it deals with the gifts of the Spirit and all of those things flowing. But then it says in 1 Corinthians 13 that if... I can speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and I have not love. It profits me nothing, and I become like a gong or a cymbal that's going off all the time. Well, this is kind of like that. Nehemiah chapter 4 lays some specific things out, but then it comes back to Nehemiah 5 where it's all about love. Now, it plays out a little different in the story here as we're going to see, but keep that in mind. It's all about the love of God. So Nehemiah chapter 5 says this. Verse 1. There was a great, great outcry of the people and their wives against the Jewish brethren. For there were those who said, we are our sons and daughters and many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. There were also some who said, we have mortgaged our lands and our vineyards and houses that we might buy grain because of the famine. There were also those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our lands and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as the children, as their children. And indeed, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have been brought into slavery. It is not in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and our vineyards. And here's Nehemiah speaking. He says, And I became very angry when I heard the outcry in these words. After serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and rulers and said to them, Each of you is exacting usury from his brother. Usury is interest. That's all it is. Whenever you see that in in Scripture, it's just simply interest that's being charged, which was absolutely taboo for the Jewish people. It was against the law for them to charge interest to somebody they had loaned money to. The idea was, if someone was in need, you didn't give them money so you could make a profit off of it. You gave them money because they needed it. And they would pay it back as they could pay it back. They would set up a plan. But what's happening here is, we have the Jewish people not only lending money to other Jewish people, they're selling their property. Let's read on here. Verse 8. And I said to them, and this is the key verse here, I said to them, according to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. Now indeed, will you even sell your brethren? Or should they be sold to us? Then they were silenced and found nothing to say. The picture here is just one of simply, this is Nehemiah, remember, like Holy Spirit, he comes on the scene and he's saying, all these things are going wrong and you guys have done it to yourself. You're selling your land. 
In Jewish culture, that was absolutely taboo. People took land, and that was their inheritance. It wasn't like us where we could live here in Orlando for a while and then up and move and then go to California for a while and then move to wherever we need to move to. It wasn't like that. Land was critically, critically important. But they didn't have any money, so they would sell it to their other brethren. Then it would put them in a position of, well, I don't have any land. I can't grow anything. So it would make them even more poor because they had nothing to sell. So then they would say, well, I'll sell my children. I'll sell my children to this family over there, and they become slaves. Some of the children had even been sold and had taken out of the country. Nehemiah comes on the scene, and he says, all of this stuff that's happening right here should not be. Don't you like when Holy Spirit comes to you and pokes you like that? It's really a healthy thing. This is where we get into this internal house cleaning, why we need Holy Spirit in our lives to come in and allow him to start saying, that thing that's going on right there isn't really a good idea. In other words, God has given you an inheritance, and if you're not careful, you can get rid of it by the actions and the way you believe. You can get rid of, you can lose the very destiny that God has given you by simply thinking little of it. We know this happens because we see it happen back in Genesis with with Esau. Remember Jacob and Esau? It says that Esau came in and he was hungry. Jacob, he was an inside child. Esau was an outside child. Esau was out hunting, couldn't find anything to eat, was incredibly hungry, comes back home. Here's Jacob sitting with a pot of beans and says to him, I'll give you these beans if you'll give me your birthright. So Esau, Esau says, I'm about to die anyway. What's the use of my birthright? Yeah, I'll go ahead and give it to you. Here, give me the beans. Now, We see then that Esau lost his birthright. The same thing can happen to us if we're not mindful of what God has given us. We start looking at what's happening around us. Are you with me this morning? Start looking at what's happening around us and we give away the very thing that God has given us as an inheritance that moves us into our future. This is what's happening right here. Nehemiah comes to work with these leaders of the cities. He sees all that's happening here and with all the interest, all the selling of the children, he's absolutely beside himself. I like what it says here at the end of verse 8 where it says, They were silenced and found nothing to say. They were silenced and found nothing to say. You ever notice sometimes how people who are confident in God appear to be arrogant to the insecure? People who are confident in God, they appear to be arrogant to the insecure. And it may not be arrogance at all. It's just simply a confidence in God. And here's Nehemiah, Holy Spirit, coming in and just speaks this thing. I am all about, please hear me, I am all about calling out destiny in people. I am all about that. I think that's what we as the church need to be doing. The culture of the Western church for so long has been so sin-focused that it makes people more aware of their sin than they are of the Savior. Which is greater? Which is greater? Oh, I feel a bunny path coming on right here. Romans chapter, I'm taking it. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. It would do us good to meditate on that for a while. Romans chapter 5 is the chapter that deals with the first Adam and the last Adam. The first Adam was created Adam. The last Adam is Jesus. And it's good that we call him the last Adam, not the second Adam, because there is no one after him. There was the first one and there's the last one. The work of the first Adam brought all humanity into sin, right? We believe that in the Western church. We have no problem. We have no problem believing 
that because of the work of first Adam, we have been brought into sin. But that same passage says because of the last Adam, we've all been made righteous. We have a harder time believing that one. Why? Because we're still focused on the sin. I'm not saying sweep sin under the rug. I'm not saying that. I'm saying recognize what happened. What happened in the last Adam was sin was absolutely abolished. It didn't get swept under the rug. That's what happened in the old covenant. Sin was swept under the rug. That's why the word says that in the old covenant, the blood of bulls and goats covered sin. Covered it up. Listen, New Testament church, saints... Listen to me. Listen very closely. Your, your sin has not been covered in the New Testament. It's been absolutely cleansed. And if we still live mindful of what doesn't exist anymore, we have the power to bring it back to life. If you don't believe me, look in, look in Romans 5 and then move into Romans 6 and see what he says. Buried with Christ. Body of sin. The sin nature absolutely eradicated and done away with. There is something about walking in the new creation, who we really are, that keeps sin from happening. I'm telling you, once you find out who you are, you'll never want to be anything else. Once you find out who you really are, you will never want to be anything else. And all your attention that you've been focused on trying not to do the wrong thing, it goes away. And you're not even thinking about trying to not do the wrong thing anymore. All you see is the right thing. Hope this is making sense. But we need Holy Spirit to come in and help us direct that. Why? Because it's not because we're so afraid of sin. It's because we're afraid of missing our destiny or we don't want to miss our destiny. I don't want to say we're afraid of it because fear is not a good thing. hope you're with me this morning. I don't want us to focus on what's wrong. I want us to focus on what's right because when we focus on what's right, we head towards it. Hello? Okay, just making sure you're still with me here. We need Holy Spirit to provoke us. We need to even be a type of people that live our lives in such a way that it provokes the others around us. Let your light so shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify God. Right? Let your light so shine. That's not about being some self-righteous, superior, arrogant, Christian, whatever. It's not about that at all. It's about being so enamored so in love with, so enveloped in the intimacy that we have with Jesus that we live from that one place and people look at it and go, don't got it, man, I want what you got. They're looking at it and going, that's good stuff. That's, that makes me feel good. That being around you makes me feel really good. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify God. Let's forget trying to be culturally relevant. Hello? As believers, the most culturally relevant relevant thing you can do is fall madly in love with Jesus. That is the most culturally relevant thing you can do. Why? Because it's not bound by time. Being madly in love with Jesus forces the internals of ourselves to think different, to act different, to breathe different, to be different. And people look at it and go, that's good stuff. How do you think the gospel of Jesus Christ sped, spread so rapidly in the early days of the church? Because the church was filled with this one thing, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. 
It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And how many times do you see in the New Testament where it talks about them bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to another group of people, to another culture, and all they do is talk about the Jesus that was in the Old Covenant, who was concealed in the Old Covenant, but he's revealed in the New Covenant. And all they do is talk about him. They talk about him. Talk about him. I hope you're hearing me this morning. I really hope you're hearing me this morning. This church is filled with this one thing, the presence of God in the person of Jesus. That's all I want to be about. I don't want to be about anything else. I may offend you by saying something like this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I'm not interested in your eschatology. That's a big word, hard to say. (laughs) I'm not interested in your end times theology. Do we need to understand it and read it? Yes, but I guarantee you we are all going to get to heaven and realize how wrong we are. So don't start holding on to your eschatology, whether you're pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, amillennial, premillennial, postmillennial. I don't care. Hold on to it, but remember this one thing. It comes back to the person of Jesus. Well, Andrew, the book of Revelation really is important to us. I know it is, but read it for what it is. It says it's the revelation of Jesus, not the revelation of end times. It's the revelation of Jesus. You know what? Fall madly in love with him, and then all your theology will begin to line up. There's nothing more dangerous than theologians who aren't in love with Jesus. Because we interpret it out of our own soul. We interpret it out of our own, I wish it were like this. Hello? You can take the Bible and make it read like anything you want. You fall madly in love with Jesus, you start to recognize when you read this Bible how scandalous it really is. It's all about this one person. Come on, are you hearing me this morning? I like this bunny path I'm on. It's all about one person. It's all about the person of Jesus. And Jesus says of Holy Spirit, right? It's good that I go away because if I go away, I send you another And that word another is not another of a different kind. It literally means another of the exact same kind. It's all one. The Trinity, the Godhead, if you would. Facets of this one God. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Right now, open your your hands like this. Holy Spirit, fill me. Fill me. Fill me, Holy Spirit. Lord, I want to read that word and catch you more than anything else. Yeah, Fill me, Holy Spirit. I want to read your word. I want to hear your word, and I want to see Jesus come alive. That's what I want. Yeah, come on. Doesn't that feel good? That's what we're about. That's the gospel. The gospel is not you do this, you do this, you do this. The gospel is he did this, and it finished it. That's the gospel. Come on. That's a good word right there. The gospel is not you do this, and he will do this. The gospel is he finished it. Now, what are you going to do with it? You're going to believe it? Hello? Amen? Say amen to that. Now I've got to find myself where I was. We sang about slavery this morning. No longer slaves of fear. That felt good. I think that's the first time we've done that song. It felt really good. Well, I wasn't here last week, was I? <laughs> Great. I thought we were on to something, but no. (laughs) The people here in Nehemiah's time, they've been released from slavery. They're back trying to rebuild their lives. Now, 
This kind of slavery that they were brought into by the Assyrians is not like the slavery that they were in when it came to the Egyptians. You guys remember back in Genesis, right? Um, All of the tribe of Israel moves to Egypt because of Joseph and they find a place that's good. They land in Goshen and it's a wonderful place and they start, you know, multiplying. Ultimately, generations later, the Pharaoh goes, I don't think I like this. Let's put these people to work for us. And they enslaved the entire nation of Israel. You know, if you look at Genesis, that when God released the people of Israel from Egypt, they went out, they weren't out too long, Pharaoh started following them, then what happened? They went through the Red Sea. You guys know what that's a picture of, right? Because everything's a prototype and a picture. Everything you read in Old Covenant is a prototype shadow or picture of something to come. The people come out of bondage through the waters. It's a picture of baptism. That's the whole point. And when you get to Romans chapter 6, you see it, that we are buried with Christ through baptism, raised to walk in a newness of life. So when the people came out of Egypt through the water, that was complete, absolute, no more bondage. No more bondage. God has come in. Thank God for that, right? He set us completely free from sin. Hello? Come on, this isn't really settling in yet, is it? (laughs) He has set you completely free from sin. 100%, absolutely, positively, all the way through, top to bottom, side to side, inside out, set you free from sin. Thank you. I'm going to preach over here for a while. The slavery that they went into with the Assyrians was not the kind of slavery bondage that they were in with Egypt because they had been set free. The slavery that they were in with the Assyrians was because they gave themselves back over to thinking something different than what God had said. Do you see the difference? It's critically important when we talk about this internal house cleaning that we let Holy Spirit come in and provoke. We let him come in, speak to us. He won't come in and condemn you. I promise you that. Because that's what the word says, Romans 8. You read a little further. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How many are in Christ Jesus in here? Okay, condemnation in Christ Jesus are like oil and water. They don't mix. They don't work at all. There's no shame. There's no condemnation. You hear me go after this all the time in here. If there's shame and condemnation on you, just say, get. I was about to say something, but I'm looking for kids. Get off of me. Exactly. Thank you. I've got one. It doesn't belong. But when Holy Spirit comes in, it does bring a stirring and a provoking inside that helps us to see things accurately that are going on inside. I'll say this. If there are issues, constant issues that you're dealing with in life that are just troublesome, bank on it. You can track it all the way back to a place of unbelief in the heart. Every time. You can take it back to a place where you're believing a lie. Every time. Bank on it. Take it to the bank. Any kind of ongoing challenge you're facing, whether it be relational, um, oh, financial, Take it back. It'll all come back to a place 
where you're believing a lie in the heart. That's what happened to these people right here. Their bondage was not a bondage that God caused. It's something they chose because they left him. We have the choice in our life to choose freedom in him, think like he thinks, or think like we want to think. It's called the self-life. And when we think like we want to think, it takes us into a place that ultimately leads to bondage. God never sent them back to Egypt. Never. Do you remember when they got free? It was even in their own hearts. They began to cry out. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Why did you bring us into this wilderness? It would be better if we went back. It's the heart. The heart always wants to go back to where it was before. That's why it's true with any kind of constant pain, addiction, things that we've done wrong in our life. Why do people tend to repeat it and do the same thing? Because they know the way there. It's simple to go back. It's a well-worn path. I know how right how to get back to that again. It's super simple. I don't even have to think about it. I can, in my own personal life, go back to things that I've been delivered from. Not because I really want to. It's because in my own self-life, I will go back to that again. Hello? It's a self-inflicted kind of wounding. It's not God. Romans 6, 16 says this. Do you not know that whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey? Whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. He's not talking about try to do the right thing and muster up as much strength as you can. He's saying, no, obedience in Christ is one of simply relaxing, resting, meditating on what he's already said about sin and about who you are and finding yourself ultimately going in that direction. Christianity is not about striving, church. It's not. Romans 13 says, put on Christ and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Right? Now, we like that passage. That sounds really good. Put on Christ and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. You won't do the wrong thing. But the question really is, is how do you put on? Put on Christ. Well, unfortunately, we've taken in our our vernacular of putting on, posing, trying to trump it up or do something inside so we can move in a certain direction. When really the word there, put on in Greek, it literally means, are you ready? You ready? Sink into. So it's not even you putting on, like putting on a coat. It's not even you taking the energy to do that. It's coming to a place of going, and you fall back into him. That's how you put on Christ. You rest. I hope this is making sense. This is crucial in the church. This is really crucial. The only way to put on Christ is to fall down. Find out where he is and then fall down right in the middle of him. Because when you fall down in Christ, when you put on Christ, you fall into him, you sink into him, you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Hello? Come on, that was a good word right there. Look over at Galatians 5 with me for a moment. I love Galatians because here's Paul. He's writing back to the church in Galatia. It's a region of churches, actually. And he's writing back because Judaizers have come in and they've started to tell the church who has found freedom in the spirit. They're starting to say, well, you know, you got to do a little bit more in your Christianity than just believe in Jesus Christ. How about we add on circumcision? Ouch. (laughs) Let's bring that one back because that really is important that we start doing that. And so Paul has to write back to these, these people here and he's saying, what is wrong with you? You foolish, crazy Galatians. 
Having begun in the spirit, are you now trying to perfect yourself in the flesh? Let me just say, guys, there is such a thing called positive flesh that gets you nowhere into the kingdom. Positive flesh is this. I'm just going to try to be better. Sorry. Can't do it. Try all you want. You can't do anything. This is how crazy scandalous the gospel is. You try and try and try only to find that you can't do jack. Why do you think when Jesus came on the scene, he tailor fit the message of the kingdom to every person who came to him? You ever notice that? Rich young ruler comes to him. I've done this and I've kept this commandment and I've done this and this and this. And he says, yeah, well, take everything you got, sell it. He walks away sad. I think it's interesting Jesus didn't chase him down. What was he doing? He was trying to frustrate him in his own performance. Jesus, knowing the heart of what was really captivating this rich young ruler, he spoke right to it. He said, can you do that? You can't, can you? That's what I thought. Nicodemus, a Pharisee, comes to him, wants to get the... He goes, I know you're of God because nobody can do the things that you can do unless God's with him. How do you do it? What's going on? I want to know more about this kingdom. And what does he do to to Nicodemus? You got to be born again. What? Born again? I got to go back into my mom's womb again? And he says to him, how is it that you're a teacher of the law and you don't even get this? I'm telling you, the thing you should be getting this and you shouldn't get it. What's he doing? Jesus will frustrate every person that comes to him on their own terms trying to get to God. He will frustrate them over and over and over again. I've told people this before and some don't like it. Jesus was not a grace preacher. He was a law preacher on steroids. He was. Look at it. If we're going to live by the words of Jesus, hear me out here, then why don't we start cutting off people's hands and gouging eyes out? Because he said to do that right? Understand what he's doing. He's trying to bring humanity into a place where they reach their ultimate frustration and go, I give up. How is it, how is it that people who didn't know anything about the law, who weren't even trying to live right, those were the ones who got him, right? And all the Pharisees would come and say, look what we've done. And he said, hey man, it's not the well that need a doctor, it's the sick. The sick get the doctor, the well people don't get him. So us in our performance of trying to work our way into God, it's ultimately like God is just sitting there frustrating us over and over again. Which you know, I believe that's an answer to what Ezekiel 14 was talking about. Ezekiel, he's having a conversation with God, the prophet, and he's super frustrated. He's going, what am I going to do with these people? Ezekiel is the prophet, and he's saying to God, God, these people are coming to me. They stack up idols in their life, and then they come to me, and they want to hear from you. What am I supposed to do? God ultimately speaks to him, and he says, when they come to you to ask, to inquire of you about me, I want you to answer them according to the idols in their heart. See, there's a big difference between hearing God say, This is what I want from you or what I want you to do. And hearing God say, is that what you want to do? Go ahead and do it. You hear the difference. I hope this is making sense. When we stack up these idols in our heart, when we have things in our heart, even things that sound really good in the kingdom, be careful. They can be idolatry. You can make an idolatrous idol out of this. Alala. 
You can make an idol out of this thing right there. Do I believe in the word of God? Absolutely. But understand, the word of God doesn't contain God. It reveals him. When you take that and try to make it contain God, you've missed the whole mark. And you will have an idol in that right there. Man, am I stepping on some toes this morning? Be careful. He says, answer them. Answer them when they come. I will answer them according to the idols of their heart. You see that happening in the person of Jesus. He knows and he sees the idols already in their lives. And all he does is frustrate them. Why? Ultimately, till they'll come to the point where they're like, I'm done. I'm done. And when you get to that point where you say, I'm done, that's when Holy Spirit starts to work. That's when he starts to move. I had you go to Galatians, didn't I? Galatians chapter 5, and verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Let me read this other version. I love this Bible. I have multiple versions in here. Here's my advice. Live your whole life in the spirit and you will not satisfy the desires of your lower nature. That's good, isn't it? Here's my advice. Live your whole life in the spirit and you will not satisfy the desires of your lower nature. I'm glad that it puts lower nature in there instead of flesh. Because we in the church have got this really weird understanding about what flesh is. We think flesh is evil. It's not. Flesh is not evil. The word flesh used here in Galatians is sarks. That's the Hebrew word, sarks. It means meat and bones. It means this stuff you see, this substance right here. It's not evil. Hello? It's not evil. That would be really weird if it was because it says that the word became flesh. There was no evil in him. What he's talking about here is this lower nature, this self-life, this desire to try to climb up to God within our own workings. Guys, I'm telling you, I don't trust my will any further than I can throw it. I have to trust the Spirit of God. My will can't get me anything. The only thing my will is good for is worshiping Him. Hello? Man, you guys have the deer in the headlights look. Am I messing with you this morning? The only thing my will is good for is worshiping him. Why do you think David cries out, I will bless the Lord, oh my soul. That's where your will is. I will bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me, I bless his holy name. But to try to climb up to him through my will, it ain't going to happen. All I can do is set my mind on him. I can focus on him. I can meditate on him. And in so, it's in that time which Holy Spirit starts to speak and we start to recognize. Not because... We understand it all. It's because we don't have any filters in the way. And he begins to speak and he starts to put his fingers on things and sit like Nehemiah and say, these things should not be this way. Live by the spirit. You won't fulfill the lust of the flesh or the desires of the lower nature. Look at chapter six now of Galatians verse eight. If he sow seed in the field of his lower nature... He will reap from it a harvest of corruption. But if he sows in the field of the Spirit, the Spirit will bring him a harvest of eternal life. Here's the thing. We have the ability in our lives. It's like this. I have this picture one time. That we walk around in life with two bags attached to us. And they've got seed in them. One of them is the Spirit of God. Because we have the Spirit in us. Right? The other one's just the lower nature. 
we still have the capability. So we can walk through our life, and depending on what bag we grab out of and throw into our future, that's going to determine what we find when we get there. If I grab seed out of the Spirit and I throw it out there, when I get into my future, all of a sudden there's going to be corn and carrots and peas and all those good vegetables and stuff. But if I sow out of the other one, I'm going to get out there and I'm going to find thistles and weeds. Here's the thing, guys. We in church have spent a lot of time sowing out of this lower nature, throwing it into our future, only to get there to find that we have weeds, and then we start rebuking the devil. That same context of that scripture says, God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, he's going to reap. In other words, there are specific laws in the kingdom of God, and there are laws in the new covenant. And I'm glad it's a new law because it says it's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. But there are still laws. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. Whatever you put out into your future, that's what you're going to find when you get there. Thank God there's mercy. Thank God there's forgiveness. Thank God there's redemption. There's restoration. Even here in Nehemiah, he says, he himself says this. I have said to them, according to our ability, we have redeemed. We have redeemed. This is beautiful because this is what Holy Spirit does. He comes in and he says, yep, this is the bad stuff right here. Not to condemn you, but to show you that it's keeping you from finding full life. And he redeems and brings us back into something that we're intended for. There's also this other aspect of this internal house cleaning. There's the aspect I've been talking about, about things that we do, seeds that we sow, but there's other aspect of it if sometimes things have happened to us that aren't our fault, right? There are things that happen to us that aren't our fault at all. We didn't ask for it. This just came and it happened. I didn't ask for it. But still the same principle applies here. We have to go back to a place of saying, Nehemiah, Holy Spirit, come in, speak to me. Because if we don't, what sets in when things have happened to us is bitterness and resentment, right? Unforgiveness. Forgiveness, guys, is not some good idea that God put out there. Forgiveness is a force. It's powerful. It's extreme. If you want to see your enemy get what they deserve, forgive them. Forgive them. It's the truth. I like this story. I heard this years ago. Forgiveness is kind of like this. Two guys went out fishing. You guys ever cast like this? You know how to cast your fishing? One of the guys baits his hook, goes like this to cast it, and when it comes back, it catches his buddy right in the cheek. And he goes like that, and that hook sinks in there. And now he's got this hook in his jaw. Now, he didn't mean to do that, but nonetheless, that hook no longer belongs to guy number one. It belongs to guy number two. He can cut the fishing line on it, but it's still in his cheek. Now, forgiveness is this guy taking the hook that's in his cheek and taking it out. That's what forgiveness is. Saying, I'm not going to let this thing stunt my life and get infected and ruin me. Unforgiveness is leaving the hook in the cheek and it getting infected and swollen. And anytime anybody gets even close to something that has to do with fishing or anything, they talk about it or anything, there's this immediate 
You hear what I'm saying? How is it that some people can be totally normal in some situations, but then you put them in another situation that's still maybe normal to us, but they freak out? They get a little weird? Usually it has to do with unforgiveness. It has to do with something, bitterness, resentment that's held on inside of us. And so it gets really weird. So you talk to this guy who hasn't taken the hook out about fishing and everybody else in the room is like, yeah, man, I love fishing. And he's like, I hate it. I hate it. What's going on? It's unforgiveness. He's still got that thing in his cheek. Forgiveness is saying, no, I'm taking this out and I'm not letting it determine my future. I'm hoping this is helping this morning. It's like in the body... Has anybody ever here been doing something and you've like had a geek in your neck or your back and you just go, you can't move anymore? Please tell me I'm not the only one. (laughs) What's happening there? And I will go to a chiropractor or massage therapist and I'll say, hey man, this thing's really hurting me. Can you work this thing out? And I've had them tell me, yeah, what happens there is the bones, something will happen inside the body, usually in the bones, where the body, the muscles will go. Or the bones will go, that really does hurt. And so the muscles will go tense to keep that, mus- that bone from moving in that direction anymore. And so you've got this knot in the muscle that's holding it tight saying, don't move, don't move. One little bit of movement, it's going to hurt that thing again, right? It's the same kind of thing. We have things in our life sometimes where certain things will just geek us. We'll, they'll do things, but it's a matter of forgiveness, letting Holy Spirit work inside of us that cleanses us, that keeps those things from happening. Have you ever had something like that happen and gone to a massage therapist? I have. You know what they tell me? I think this is interesting. After they work it all out, they say drink tons and tons of water because it rinses it out of the body. Uh Anyone who thirsts, let him come to me. And out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. That's the cleansing, guys. Doesn't that feel good? It doesn't matter whether we've been the ones who have sinned, who've messed up, who have these patterns in our life, or it's been done to us. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I felt the Lord speaking this to me. I'm going to say this. I hope this comes out right. I wrote it down. It's like Holy Spirit is saying to us as a church, as people, as the body of Christ, in order to get healthy, he's saying, if you don't want to get in on the joy of living as the people of God, fine, sit in your misery, but I'm restoring those who want in on it. Should I read that again? If you don't want to get in on the joy of living as the people of God, fine, sit in your misery. But I'm restoring those who want in on it. Stand up with me here. There's more to this Christian life than just trying to do the right thing. There's this thing of relaxing, resting, and just simply saying, Holy Spirit, I want in on it. I want in on being whole. I need my internal house cleaned out a little bit. My soul is damaged because of things I've done. My soul is damaged because of things other people have done. But right now, I'm just saying, God, I want in on it. I want in on the life that you're offering me. You guys with me? I want in on the life that you're offering me. Hold your hands out. Just say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Now you listen. Tell him you want in on it. I want in on it, God. I want in on it. I want my soul clean. 
I want my heart clean, Lord. God, I want to be whole and healthy, Lord. I want to be able to see when other people are in bondage and like Nehemiah come in and say, I'm going to buy that back. I'm going to buy that thing back that's been lost. I'm going to restore. I'm going to redeem that thing. Guys, this is what we've been given by Jesus, the ministry of reconciliation. When we walk in health and wholeness, we have the ability to see others who are in slavery and who are in bondage, and we can come to them and say, listen, we're going to redeem this. We're going to get this back. We're going to get this back. But we can't see that if we're consumed with our own stuff on the inside. God, heal us. Heal our hearts, Lord God. Holy Spirit, come and move. Move. Do what you do. Do what you do. Do what you do with the cleansing, the cleaning. Say, Lord, my heart's damaged. My soul hurts. I need to be healed. Show me where I've drifted from you. And I'll come back. I love that song we were singing earlier, that chorus, draw to me, Jesus. I made my heart a home. I made my heart a home. Don't confuse that with trying to be clean so that Jesus will come in. He comes in in the middle of things that are dirty. It's just when they're clean, we see him more. Sin doesn't keep Jesus away from us. It just brings a cloud in the room so we can't see him as clearly anymore. Lord, heal my soul. Lord, I'm praying for every person in this room that Holy Spirit, you do what you do. I can't do it. Nobody else can do it, Lord. It's just what you do. That every place that's been damaged, that's been hurt inside of us, God, we would come to a place of absolute surrender where we sink in and we just say, God, do what you do best. I engage my mind in what you're thinking. I engage my heart into what you're feeling. My thoughts into your thoughts. Let it be, let it be. We're going to do communion right now. I want you to, as we're coming, we've got two tables set up here. Just as you're coming, keep this in mind. Holy Spirit, speak to me. When we do communion, church, it's, it's really an act of remembering the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we're told to do it often. And as we do it, what we're doing is we're coming back to a place of saying this one thing. The all-sufficient sacrifice of Jesus is perfectly capable of healing everything physically and emotionally inside of me. Come on, is that good? It's perfectly capable of healing everything physically and emotionally. If there's physical pain in your body, hold on to it while you're taking communion and say, this right here is way more powerful than this pain. This internal damage in the soul, these things that may be holding on to us, habitual sins and stuff, you hold it right up there. Don't try to hide from it. Say, God, I'm going to take this because this is way more powerful than this habitual sin. And I know there's full, wonderful value in what I'm taking right here. Don't let the old churchy thing of don't take communion unless you're in a perfect place. That's a lie from Satan. To not take communion because there might be sin in your life is absolutely a lie. Read 1 Corinthians 11. Go back and check it again. He says that some of you have even died because you don't give this thing full worth. When he says don't do this in an unworthy manner, it has nothing to do with your sin. It has everything to do with the position of your heart towards him. Take it and say everything about this is completely capable of eradicating everything inside of me. So go ahead and come. Just as you feel led, go ahead and come. We're going to have some music on. And just hold that before the Lord.